does 72 months, that's six years, no interest financing? Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, that's who. Just order by May 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. What do we need parents for? Parents, you have essentially become useless beyond the simple fact that you you bring children into the world because nowadays the government is willing to take care of everything that you might need for example starting at the age of three if joe biden gets his way you're you're not going to have to worry about daycare you're not going to have to worry about staying home and taking care of your children we're we're going to have three-year-old pre-kindergarten slash government paid for daycare don't have to worry about that we're going to see starting i believe in july you're going to start seeing extra money that the federal government is now going to pay the vast majority of people just for for having children and you don't have to worry about taking it as a tax credit or anything like that they're going to put thousands of dollars in your account over the course of the next few months simply by virtue of the fact that that you have had children then of course we've heard the other stories. If Joe Biden gets his way, there's going to be free community college. So don't worry about saving for your kids' college education. The government is going to take care of that. And of course, if your kid doesn't get a job or loses their job, don't worry. We're not going to push him to go to work again. We're going to make it more profitable to stay at home and not work than it is to work. So this is, it's the cradle to grave taxpayer paid for program that America is coming is becoming and now we have the latest step Gwen Moore and a number of other extremely progressive Democrats including Bernie Sanders from Vermont um, Ilian Omar <clears throat> the congresswoman from Minnesota Kristen Gillibrand of New York they are now out with a proposal which would say mom and dad don't worry about feeding your kids. The government will take care of it. Now, after COVID started, we, we had, again, we were in, because of the pandemic, it was very, very unusual times and uncharted waters. So in addition to the extra unemployment benefits that the government paid out, what we also had is the, the school lunch programs which were typically, first of all, designed for low-income or lower-income um, families. They, they were pretty much expanded. The federal government was going to provide everybody short-term uh, meals. All right, that, that's fine. And the department, uh, the USDA, has expanded that and is going to continue that for uh, at least through the end of this year, maybe a little bit longer. But that's not enough because here's the story. Some of the people I mentioned, led by Gwen Moore of Milwaukee, want to now sponsor a bill that would make breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a snack free to all children in the United States, regardless of income. Yes, you heard me right. Breakfast, lunch, a snack, and dinner free to all children in the United States, regardless of income. 
Moore says, well, by expanding the free meal program, we're going to make sure kids get fed because Lord knows, mom and dad, you you can't be held responsible for making sure your children get fed. By giving it to everybody, she says, well, it would reduce paperwork because the way it is now, you have to actually uh, apply and, and demonstrate that you're either reduced income or, you know, for the reduced lunches or the, the low income. And she also says it would end any stigma from qualifying for government help because this way, if everybody gets it for free, well, then, you know, you, you don't have to, like, sort out who might be entitled to it and, and who isn't entitled to it. Sort of the same argument about why don't we just give everybody money, whether they need it or not. Uh, the bill would cost billions of dollars, but they don't have a formal estimate of this yet. The existing school lunch program costs about $14 billion a year and serves about 29 million children. You know this would be a lot more than that, but the people like Winmore who are pushing it, they don't care what it costs. It, it does. They, they say it doesn't matter what this costs because we, we want to make sure that children don't go hungry. And the argument is that if you oppose something like this, if you oppose the taxpayers paying for for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a snack for all children, you are somehow evil and heartless. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Akin Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I ask this question sincerely. If you have a, a family, let's just take the example, you have a husband and a, and a wife who are are both working, pulling in eighty, ninety, a hundred thousand dollars a year. All right, not close to the poverty level. Why should, for example, a retiree on a fixed income? who is also paying federal tax but making a lot less than that, why should that retiree be paying for the breakfast, lunch, and dinner of somebody else's kids, including when that somebody else makes a lot more money than the retirees on the fixed income? All right, let's open up the phone line, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This, I think this is a, this is a big deal. This idea that now the government, it's not, we're just, we're going to make sure that nobody goes hungry at school. So if you qualify, you're going to get the breakfast, you're going to get the lunch. I I understand all that. But this is now breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it is regardless of family income. So you doctors in River Hills, don't worry. You don't have to provide for your kids food. Don't worry. The taxpayers are going to do that. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think I, I would describe this as ridiculous and laughable, except that this is a, a serious proposal that's being advanced by the far left in this country, again, as part of the government cradle to grave attempt to try to take over all aspects of family life. And I look, I think you can make an argument. I'm not saying kids should go hungry and you can make an argument. Hey, if you're again, if you're below certain income levels, do I have a problem with like subsidizing the breakfast or the lunch? No, but free lunches, free breakfast, free dinner and a snack for everybody, regardless of income. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Andy in West Bend. Andy, good afternoon. Hey hey there, Jeff. Uh, hope you can hear me okay. Sure. So he- here's my thing. I would pay for 10 kids 
that don't deserve it if it makes sure that one kid doesn't go hungry. Kids getting food is it's essential to them becoming uh but but that's crazy. What you just said, Andy, is it, what you just said is is crazy. Nobody's anti-food for kids, but is it? Have we now right. reached a point where it's unrealistic to say we're going to separate out the, the kids who come from low-income families and we're going to make sure they get it, but in re- exchange we have to give it to everybody? That that's your position that we can't sort it out at all? No, I think that we can sort it out, but don't you think that we're going to just end up with a ton of bureaucracy? That if you really layer in all that and so much that it's going to it's going to not get to the people that actually need it. Well, we've had these programs forever. I mean, it, no, no, I, I guess I, I don't. No, thanks for calling. No, I, I don't think that. that that's I, see, that's the kind of thinking, frankly, it makes my head want to explode. The idea is, well, there's a kid in poverty who needs it. So because we want to make sure that kid gets it, we're going to give it to 50 other kids who, who don't need it. And, and no, I, I, I don't I don't buy that. All our programs, at least historically, have been tailored to people who are in in need, and that's how the school—I'm calling it the school lunch program—but it's a nutrition program. That that's how it works. If your family is below a certain income level, well, what you do is you fill out certain, some paperwork, you get the free meals. If it's in a different income level, you fill out the paperwork, and then you get reduced price meals. And if your family makes a bunch more money, the, no, the taxpayers—I do not think—should have an obligation to have to pay for that. And the the, the best argument is again if you if you are again fixed income or you're you're again in that that middle income thing why should you be paying for other people's kids to eat and have we really reached this point in this country where we don't expect anybody to take care of their children anymore that it's going to be the government that's going to do this don't worry we're going to feed every child in America through the schools regardless of whether the parents can do it or not we're just going to depend on the government to take care of it Karen in Fond du Lac Karen you're on WTMJ Karen Hello. Hi, Karen. Yes. Yes, I'm totally against it. I have already worked in schools and see people that are on um, reduced or free lunch. They can buy, have the money to buy potato chips Mm -hmm. and cookies, which are not included in the free lunch price. And then they still have to take the full meal, which is a main entree, a fruit and a vegetable, a fruit and a vegetable. And then they turn around and throw that away and yeah. eat the chips and the cookies. I don't think, you know, we, where does it end? Well, when it doesn't we end. Paying for- no, it, it doesn't end, oh, yeah. Karen. That, that's the idea. It, it just, it, it does not end. I mean, thanks for the call. This is, this is what we saw. It, it started, okay, we, we now want to have like free daycare starting at the age of three. We don't expect parents to have to take care of their children. The government and the taxpayers will pay for that. And look, and I, I'm not against these school nutrition programs. And I think, you know, we've talked about this before, Karen. You make an interesting point about, you know, the waste and these requirements that, yeah, we give the kids the vegetables. And of course, the vegetables go, you know, right into the trash can and things like that. But that, that's, that's, a conversation for another day. I'm back with this basic premise of it is now in this country. There are politicians who believe it is the role of the taxpayers to feed your children morning, noon, night, and a snack 
regardless of whether or not you have the financial wherewithal to do it. Uh, let's go to some text. Jeff, this uh, it's the Democratic motto is free, 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 spend, spend, spend. Where does it stop? Well, the answer is it, it doesn't stop. And by the way, the people who are proposing this, they, again, like I said, they, they, they don't have a cost estimate. The current program is 14 B as in billion. You know it's going to be a lot more than that, but they don't care because it's all about the, the kids. Jeff, the public schools aren't educating our kids. Now they're going to feed them. The people pushing this are aiming for total dependence and an eternal voting base. Well, once you get this, you you can never kind of go back because then the the headline is, of course, going to be, oh, those evil conservatives trying to starve children. Jeff, I'm a retiree on a fixed income, and the government sent me $2,400 of stimulus that I don't really need, though I'm happy to have it to pay future taxes and all the insane money giveaways being proposed. The government's been talking about infrastructure for years. Instead of paying people to stay home, I'd rather see stimulus spent on employing people to repair homes and things like that. Um, Jeff, maybe Gwen Moore and uh, Bernie should donate their money for feeding all the rich kids. Um, Jeff, wrong. Programs like that benefit all, regardless of income or need, are the first and the most successful. That is social programs like Social Security and Medicaid and unemployment insurance. Okay, Social Security people pay into all their life. Nobody is going to be paying into this particular program. At, at least you're, you're not going to be getting anything out of it if you're a fixed retiree, if you're on a fixed income. Jeff, um, at what age or year of school will the free three squares plus a snack a day end? I don't think it, it does end. High school, will it continue into free community college? I, I think it's elementary and secondary education. It is essentially for your entire at least the way I understand it, from the minute you start going to school, and if Biden gets his way, that's when it's three years old. I think it's it's through your senior year in high school. Just so you will not, parents, if they get their way, you will not have to pay for food for your kids, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and, of course, a a snack. Um, Jeff, one thing we can count on, regardless of school meals will be free, kids will still complain about the taste and the choices. Um, Jeff, please help me understand how this is fair to those who haven't any children. People um, who have children, who uh, people have children um, already receive an additional tax credit. Well, yeah, that, that's true. As a matter of fact, as I was saying earlier, that, that credit is now going up dramatically. And it's not just a, really a tax credit, but it's going to be money that's put into your checking account for the vast majority of people, not just low-income people, every month. So we're we're paying you already, you know, in the form of, of money from the government. We're paying you to raise your kids. But now we're saying, but we don't we don't want those kids to you don't have to buy food for your kids. We will we'll take care of that. Jeff, can they deliver the meals to our homes if the kids are homeschooled? What about poor parents? Do we have to starve? What a joke. Well, that is an interesting sort of thing. I mean, that, that's kind of the next argument. What, why, why should we make the kids have to go to the school to eat? I mean, isn't that, that too much? Maybe what we should do is just arrange like meal deliveries and things like that. And then you can kind of like order. We can turn the schools into giant, um, I don't know, like pizza delivery services or things like that. Um, 
Jeff, forget the bus, have the kids take a limousine as well, and they can eat their breakfast in the limo on the way to school. Right, because you don't want the parents to have to wake up too early to get the kids ready for schools. Um, Jeff, this would be a major windfall for the food service giants providing their unhealthy high-carb meals. Let some local farmers be part of the decision. By the way, I'm not a uh, farmer. Uh, Let's see. Um, Jeff, um, free schools... Free food, free money, why work? Is there no end to this? No doubt we should support children whose parents can't afford a meal, but free food for everybody? Yeah, this is it. Free food for everybody. That's kind of the plan that's out there. Um, how about some free Kool-Aid to wash these meals down? Um, all the better to indoctrinate our kids starting at the age of three. Well, it, it is this sort of cradle-to-grave stuff that, that's there. And, and the argument is, and it's actually what one of our first callers was trying to articulate, the, the argument is, hey, don't, don't worry. It, it's, we we want to make sure we don't miss any children. So what we're going to do is, even if it means that we're going to spend money feeding 10, 20, 30 kids who, who don't need it, we're, we're going to do it to just to get that one. Well, I, I reject that. I mean, we, we, we should be able to tailor programs. Matter of fact, we have tailored programs to make sure that the kids who need it get the dough. But that's not the thinking anymore. It's let's do all this for everybody and we'll just... Well, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll tax the rich, but this is the benefit that the rich no longer have to pay for food for their children. Julie in Milwaukee. Julie, Julie, you're on WTMJ. Uh, yes, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, as I was telling your screener, I actually am advocating for this right now. Um, I'm a member of the School Nutrition Association, um, and I also used to work um, at Milwaukee Public Schools. Um, I agree with everybody what everybody has said thus far, but I guess me being in the heart of it, 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 I have a little different take on it because right now you figure since the pandemic started, we have been giving free meals to students across yep. the board, across the nation. Yep. And I understand not having the free programs for everybody for the free ride, but it's not really like that. Um, if you look at Milwaukee Public, and I'm going to use them as an example, they're a community eligible school district. Yep. So everybody eats for free. They have a 75,000 student enrollment. And only about 40,000 of those students in a normal school year take advantage of that program. So it's not everybody. And the thing is, is also, you know, yes, the free students are, you know, getting the benefit. But when you look at a lot of the paid students whose parents don't pay those outstanding balances, where's that fine line? Well, so, okay. I mean, and you know how successful kids are when they get their meals, and, and we're trying to generate our, our future. Okay, so well, but, I, but you're, 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 first of all, you're talking about MPS, which is different than, say, a number of the other school districts around this area where you have a much higher income level, right? I mean, MPS is, um, is kind I of wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say that because now with, with COVID, you figure a lot of people's um, – categories have changed their financial income is different some people are still on unemployment some people may still have their income cut so, okay I mean, okay well, well fine so if you but, but, kids, but julie that that's but that that's fine if if somebody qualifies for like the low income or the reduced income because of of covid that that that's okay then then they can apply for that and, and they can get it moving forward but assuming that people again explain to me why somebody whose parents make a hundred thousand dollars a year needs the taxpayers to pay for their kids breakfast lunch and dinner um, because they're not paying for the meals themselves that's why we have the negative balances that we do in a lot of districts 
they're not paying. I'm not sure I understand. Do you mean that there's there's people so who? So if they if they have a school if they have a school account set up and they're going through and they don't have money in their account for their lunch right. and they have an excessive balance at the end of the year, these parents aren't paying the balances. Well, and that, the school meal programs already in the negative. Well, that that's why and I mean, they still need to operate like a business. Well, right, that, that, Julie. That's why I think then you cut off the people. <laughs> you know, if if the parents are have the money to pay and they're deadbeats, you you cut them off. Period. You know, we've we've talked about that before as well. I, I'm sorry that this idea that you know you you the idea that the government has to take care of every child from cradle to grave. Don't don't buy it. And I'm and again, MPS is I think a different sort of situation because you're right. There's a lot of in, low income people there, and so you know I find I'm not saying restrict or make the qualifications tougher. I'm just saying cradle to grave to say that every kid needs breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and the taxpayer should pay for it. Don't buy it. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Brew Crew, in the palm of your hand, if you live in Milwaukee, Waukesha, Washington, Ozaki, and Racine County, you can now listen to the Brewers on the WTMJ mobile app or at WTMJ.com. Bob Euchre and the Brewers, now easier for you to enjoy on your phone or computer. Download the WTMJ mobile app today. All right, Gru, producing the program today and always. I have a quiz for you, but this isn't a hard one. You are a college graduate. The first year you went to college... What what class were you in? What did they call the class that you were in? What 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 year were you? What was it called? So my first year of college, I, what what title would I've been under? Yeah. is that what you mean? Oh, like a freshman? You would have been a freshman, absolutely. The second year, you would have been what? Sophomore. Sophomore. Okay, good, good. Third year, junior. you would have been you would have been a junior, and then your fourth year, your final, year, you would have been a senior, right? Right. Okay. All right. See, you got it. All right. You, you, you nailed it. Okay. In addition, all right, the when I say upperclassmen versus lowerclassmen, what do you understand that to be? Those, those terms, you know, they're thrown around a lot. You're an, you're an upperclassman when you are? Junior, senior. Absolutely. Very good. And you are an underclassman when you are a freshman and a sophomore, right? Those will be the other two. Absolutely. Very good. Now, okay. So, you know, you, you, you win, and that's, you know, you're saying, Jeff, why are, why are you giving him such easy questions? Well, because, and I swear this is true. If you follow me, I, I, I sent out a link to this story because I knew when I launched into this, there would be people who are listening to this who would say, he's making this up. He's, he's just, he's inventing this. All right. So if you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620, I've got a link to some of the stories that are out there. Penn State. The, the state-supported college. Well, here's the way here's the way it's written up on the uh, TV station out of Philadelphia. Penn State is making sure the university becomes more inclusive. Now, now just remember that that's the justification. Penn State is making sure the university becomes more inclusive. Penn State's faculty senate has approved a proposition that would remove gendered and binary terms from their course and program descriptions, according to the university's student-operated newspaper. Okay, so you might say, I, I don't quite understand what that means. The proposition says that the terms freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior are going to be done away with. There will be no more freshmen, there will be no more sophomores, there will be no more juniors, there will be no more seniors. Instead, they will be replaced with first year, second year, third year, and fourth year. The terms underclassmen and upperclassmen 
are now going to be done away with as well. They will be replaced with the terms lower division and upper division. Now you might ask yourself, who comes up with this and, and what what is the purpose behind it? All right, according to the proposition, a term like freshman and upperclassman carries a strong male-centric binary character, and the term can be interpreted as both sexist freshman, upperclassman, and classist classists. In other words, it's an elitist sort of thing because we say somebody is upper class if they are a junior or senior, whereas they are a lower classman if they are a freshman or a sophomore. The term, they go on to say, junior and senior are parallel are parallel to Western male father-son naming conventions. In other words, you know, it, it is, I guess some, some, my, my dad was like the third, you know, you, my, my grandfather was John L. Wagner Jr. So the idea is you have juniors and seniors. That is a parallel to male naming conventions. And so the, the idea is we, we are now perpetuating this male central world, world by having freshmen, junior seniors, upperclassmen, lowerclassmen. I can't figure out what the beef is with sophomore, but I, I think that just kind of gets rolled into the entire thing. Um, the recommendation also is to replace he, him, his, and she, hers, hers with they, them, theirs, or used non-gender terms like student, faculty member, staff member, member etc. So we don't want it. We can't say he or she anymore either. All right. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. According to people at Penn State, this term, these terms now have to disappear from our society because they are sexist, they are potentially misogynistic, and they, uh, again, promote a male-centric view of the world. As such, many of our terms in our lexicon carry a strong male-centric binary character to them. Terms such as freshmen are decidedly male-specific, while terms such as upperclassmen can be interpreted as both sexist and classist. Juniors and seniors, again, that's the whole Western male thing. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm curious as to your reaction, but I particularly would like some input from female members of our audience because I don't know if you, if you, well, if you went to high school, did, did you, were you offended when they referred to you as a freshman? Were you offended when you were a junior or a senior because, well, maybe your brother was junior or, you know, I, I don't know. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have, have we gone off the deep end? I mean, seriously, that now you have a a major university, this is a Big Ten university, who has now decided we have to eliminate these terms because somebody somewhere might be offended. do, and does this now mean that, you know, here in Wisconsin, first year of high school, you are no longer going to be freshmen because in some cases, maybe 50% of the student body is going to be female. We, we can't have juniors. We can't have seniors. We can't have upperclassmen. We can't have lowerclassmen. 855 616 
I'm sorry, this is just flat out insane. I do not have another way to describe it. What do you think? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. And the reason I sent out a link to this story and put it on my Twitter account is because I, I knew you wouldn't believe me. But the Penn State University faculty has now decided we've got to do away with terms freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior because they are male-centric and apparently sexist and misogynistic. Jeff, maybe Penn State should eliminate their nickname, the Nittany Lions, because I regard the term Lions as being anti-Christian. Well, actually, it, it's funny you mention that because... Well, the term Nittany Lion is a male term, and some are even suggesting that, I think tongue-in-cheek, that what we need is the general neutral correct subspecies, which is Eastern Cougar. The Penn State Eastern Cougars do away with Nittany Lions because, well, we're in this woke world, and, of course, this is what people are offended um, by. Okay, let's start with uh, Carrie in Menominee Falls. Carrie, hello. Hello. Okay, you're, give me the female. Per, give me the female perspective on this. I mean, are you offended by the term freshman? No, I never had a thought about anything like that. You know, in high school or college or even beyond. I I just think this whole thing has stupid. Yeah, well, it, it it's kind of this wokeness spiraling out of control, and it's a classic example of, of a solution looking for a problem. I'm I'm willing to bet that I'm willing to bet that the females are, aren't sitting there saying, "Oh my gosh, I'm." They refer to me as an upperclassman. Well, okay, everybody knows what that means. Everybody knows it's not a derogatory term. It's just a generic term that describes people. In this case, you know, juniors and seniors, and and, and the idea that Carrie when. when you're a junior, you as a female should be offended because sometimes males are called junior or, or senior. I, I just, I don't even know where people, I don't know how they think up this stuff. I don't, I don't either. I mean, I was proud to be an upper classman <laughs> when we reached that point, you know. And so I, I just, I, I tell you. You were just talking about them changing Nittany Alliance. My university had to change their mascot name. Which was Crusaders? Oh, yeah. Because it was considered offensive. Yep. Yep. And to tell you the truth, I don't even know what they changed it to now, and I don't care. Um. <laughs> yep. No. They, they, exactly. Because you're kind of like tuned out on this, Jeff. The Penn State story is what happens when people are looking to be offended. What about students that don't graduate in four years? We don't want someone to feel bad being called a sixth year, do we? Well, that's precisely what they're going to do. That that is the that is the idea. If you are. If you are a, a fifth-year senior, you're not going to be referred to as a senior. And, and again, I just can't even get my, my mind around this. I mean, I, I guess in, in a particular, if you were particularly sensitive, I, I understand maybe freshman because it says men, and you're obviously a, a woman that's in there. So, okay, so maybe that's an issue. But sophomore, junior, senior, oh, well, you really have to be struggling to try to find the, the terms junior and senior to be sexist and offensive. Jeff, I'm a female. I'm definitely not offended. We really have gone off the rails. Jeff, the word mankind never offended me. This is ridiculous. Are there no more pressing problems? Well, that's an interesting thing. Um, 
Jeff, uh, let's see. The stupidity will never end. This one seems like there is no point to this. We live in a country where we make things up to be outraged about. Well, but this, but but here's the thing. Not only do you make things up to be outraged about, but then in this case, this is the faculty senate. This isn't even the, the student senate. I mean, this isn't a bunch of college kids that don't have enough to do with themselves. This is this is a bunch of like again, I assume tenured professors who don't have enough to do with themselves, saying, okay. You know, we, we don't want people to feel bad about being referred to as juniors or or seniors, so we have to do away with this. And then you got to come up with some reason. I mean, who, who sits up at night thinking, gosh, what can we find that can be offensive about the term junior or senior? Oh, well, you know, yes, if, if you're a male and you have a son and you name him after yourself, he'll be a junior. So it's a male-centric term. So we need to be upset about this. Um, I think not. Jeff, wokeness needs to disappear from our society. That's my two cents. That's from Yuri. Yuri, I'm I'm with you. Jeff, uh, if you redshirt as a freshman, I mean a first year, do you graduate as a fifth year, fourth year? <laughs> I don't know. It opens up all those different cans of worms as well. Um, just where do you where do you draw the line with this, Jeff? If they are taking away the ability to use pronouns, um, whether they're taking away my, they are then taking away my pronoun pronoun perspective. Yes, exactly, Jeff. Be careful. You can't use the word woman. That's got man in it. When did man become offensive? Well, it, it's two thousand twenty one, Jeff. They're going to have to get rid of the term woman as well. Well, sure, Jeff. Can we no longer be called humans either? Don't know about that. Jeff, I think I'm more offended they want to remove them from being called an upperclassman. You know, good Good grief. Jeff, I agree with you. Insane, unbelievable, and ridiculous. It's not needed and will be an outrageous waste of money to change each and every university document. You know, that's, by the way, that's also what they intend to do. The, the idea is we're going to revamp anything that says curriculum. We're going to take out these terms. If the student book says, hey, um, you know, introduction to psychology 101 is a freshman oriented class. Nope, nope, nope. Can't say freshman anymore than that. Jeff, I might be able to understand the term freshman because I guess I know some schools already call them first years. I do not understand how sophomore, junior, and senior imply male. Well, you, you gotta really twist yourself to get into that. Jeff, here's one of our texts. I wonder if you use the term Karen, would that be acceptable at Penn State in that don't be a Karen? Well, I don't know, maybe because in that particular case, you would be deriding somebody who is politically incorrect. I, I, I bring this stuff up because it just makes your head want to explode. And, and the further the further we go through the rabbit hole, the weirder and weirder and weirder it gets. Now, do I care, I guess, what Penn State calls their, their students? No, but it's the justification for this, and it's the idea that you know – if they're doing it at Penn State, well, pretty soon, you know, the Shorewood School Board's going to be considering it in Shorewood. And pretty soon, you know, the Milwaukee School Board's going to be considering it in Milwaukee. And pretty soon, UW-Madison's going to be considering it. And that's why I think people just need to say, look, we got to put a break on this crazy wokeness. Is that too much to ask? All right, when we come back, let's go where angels fear to tread another day. And Milwaukee continues to not follow the science. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. 
And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Quick reminder, we'll be talking to uh, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson right around 135 this afternoon. One final thought on our last conversation about Penn State now doing away with terms freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, upperclassmen, lowerclassmen, because, well, they, they carry uh, sexist, elitist um, connotations. And I roll my eyes when I say that. One of our texters said, well, Jeff, how, how long is it going to be? Are, are you still able to get a master's degree at Penn State? And I said, probably not. And, and by the way, this reminded me of a conversation that we had a, about a year ago. Now, think about your house. If, if, you, if you live in a house, um, you chances are there is the, the biggest bedroom the, the bedroom that perhaps you know you and your spouse sleep in it's the largest bedroom what do we call that well we, we call it a master bedroom right that that that's the term it, it's it's the biggest bedroom when we say master bedroom everybody understand that's going to be the biggest bedroom and you've got the guest bedrooms or whatever the largest bathroom typically attached to the master bedroom is referred to as the master bathroom that is the way it has been but um, as when we talked about this when this first came out the in Houston if you go to buy a house in Houston they, they do not refer to those like that the Houston Association of Realtors has now done away with the term master bedroom and master bathroom. And New York was, at least as of last fall, seriously considering doing that. Why? Because some people in some fever dream say, okay, well, in the Civil War, you had masters and slaves. So the idea that you would have a master bedroom, even though it has absolutely nothing to do with slavery, the idea that you would have a master bedroom, well, somebody somewhere might be offended by that. At least that's the way of thinking. So now we no longer have a master. They never describe property in Houston. If you go to like look at property, it's not it's not referred to as a as a master bedroom or a master bathroom. Instead, they use the term primary. It's the primary bedroom and the primary bathroom. I, I guess this is the type of stuff that does legitimately make my head want to explode because it does nothing at all to take care of like institutional racism that might exist in, in this country. It's just silly virtue signaling. And, and yeah, I think for most people, if you said, well, what's the primary bedroom? You say, oh, you mean the master bedroom? And, and nobody, I think, I think anybody except those small group of people that wake up every morning, you know, in the class of what, what, who is going to knock this chip off my shoulder today? Nobody thinks about the term. Hey, I want to, I'm looking at a house. What, how big is the master bedroom? You, you, you hear that term. I don't think anybody, Anybody who lives in the real world, whether they're black or white or brown or blue or green, says, oh, I'm offended by the term master bedroom. It is this generic term, just like the term freshman is kind of a generic term. And I don't think there's too many women who are offended by the fact that, hey, I'm, I'm going to college this year. I'm, I'm going to be a freshman. Just saying. All right, let us switch gears. The Center for Disease Control, the follow the science people, I think have been over the course of this pandemic, they have been slow to follow the science. But they're, they're coming around, better late than never. Um, first, we were told you gotta wear masks outside. Then the, the science started demonstrating that the, the transmission of COVID in an outdoor setting 
it's not impossible, but it was very, very rare. Then we had the, the idea of vaccines. And, and here's the reality. While there are some breakthrough cases, if you get vaccinated, your chances of getting COVID are not great. Your chances of getting COVID again and not knowing you have COVID are very, very small. That's that asymptomatic stuff. And your chances of passing it on to someone else are, are like almost non-existent, especially if that person has been vaccinated. As a matter of fact, I don't believe there are any reported cases of somebody who has been vaccinated passing COVID on to someone else who has, in fact, been, been vaccinated. And maybe maybe they're out there, but again, that's like, hey, let's find the unicorn or let's walk outside on the street and, and get hit by the meteor. So based on the fact that once you are vaccinated, for all intents and purposes, you can't get it statistically, and statistically it's it's almost impossible, if not impossible, for you to pass it on to somebody else who's been vaccinated. The CDC said, look, we're trying to encourage people to get vaccinated, and so we're just going to reflect the science. And the science now says, indoors or outdoors, you don't need to wear a mask if, in fact, you have been vaccinated. In response to that, number of private businesses, including some that were first to go with the mask rules, the Walmarts, the Costcos, the Kohl's department stores of the world, they're all coming out and saying, okay, we're, we're waving. You no longer have to wear a mask to come in the store. We're, we're following the science. If the local community still has a requirement, you got to wear a mask. Well, then you have to wear a mask. But as far as store policy, you do not have to do it. It is optional. A number of the communities around Milwaukee who have had these mask rules in place have, have done away with them. Um, in the last couple of days, they have sort of pivoted and they followed the CDC guidelines and the guidance. Um, Whitefish Bay, they, they dropped their rules um, last night. Um, let's see. My understanding is I think Racine has dropped theirs. Um, many, many, uh, Shorewood, Shorewood, the People's Republic of Shorewood, Shorewood decided to end their local mask ordinance as well. Wauwatosa is going to discuss this today. My guess is that they are going to drop theirs as well. Racine, um, Racine is going to vote on their mask ordinance, and I believe they've already rescinded there. So you, you have all these communities around the, the state, even the diehards that have hung on with the indoor mask requirements, they are now starting to pull away. In Milwaukee, that at least at the moment is not the case. Milwaukee's mask mandate applies to indoor public spaces for those three and older. And it says, regardless of vaccination, you need to wear a mask. It also applies outdoors when within six feet of people who do not live with you, who aren't part of your family. So despite the the science which says if you're outside, the chances of you transmitting COVID are very, very low. And despite the science that says if you're vaccinated, the chances of you transmitting it even inside are very, very low. Milwaukee at this point in time continues to maintain its mask requirement. Uh, the mayor is saying, well, you know, we're going to be considering this in a week or two. No effort at all to make a quick pivot, unlike most communities throughout the area. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I thought we were supposed to follow the science. 
And, and if the science now says, if the CDC has been who we're supposed to be listening to, and the CDC now says, if you're vaccinated, no need for mask rules, why isn't the city of Milwaukee following the science like all the other surrounding communities are? Is it time for Milwaukee to do what they've been claiming to do for the last year and drop the mask rules like everyone else is based on the CDC recommendation. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and my answer, my answer is yes. I mean, I, I have serious questions. Is the health department still out there enforcing this ordinance on, on businesses? If there's a business that gets a report about people going inside not wearing masks or somebody that's at a bar that doesn't put their mask on when they go to the bathroom, is the city of Milwaukee still going to move in and fine the bar thousands of dollars? 855 616 61620 is Milwaukee special? Is it different than all the other communities? And my first comment is if the People's Republic of Shorewood has decided to again follow the science and drop their mask requirements, how can the city of Milwaukee not? 855-616-1620. And by the way, in saying that, if you if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you want to wear two masks, Wear two masks. If you want to wear two masks, goggles, and a visor, wear two masks, goggles, and a visor. Nobody's saying that you can't do that. But is there a need for a requirement? And should this requirement be done away with given the new guidance? 855-616-1620. We discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, my kids went to school without their masks today, first time all year. Hooray, Elmbrook School District. Well, you know, not not in Milwaukee, where the ordinance still says you got to wear masks outside, even though there's absolutely no science right now which supports the need for that especially when you have been vaccinated and you can argue there's not too much science that supports the need for that even if you're you're not vaccinated because we know that that covid doesn't it does not transmit outdoors in and it's not a very easy transfer which is why when we had all the social protests justice protests last summer you know they they, they didn't turn out to be super spreader events uh jeff last year i lost all respect for the cdc and the world health organization did you did you see who just came out um it's a health claiming it's a health emergency for companies to have mandatory overtime and long work days it's their next line of attack i think it's getting ridiculous well i think there is that jeff how does that affect attendance at brewer games well uh at the end of june you can go to american family field at the end of june it's um it's a hundred percent between now and june i I think it's it's up to fifty percent as i recall jeff by following the science it also means everybody should get vaccinations don't you think so yes yes Yes, I do believe. I got vaccinated. I believe people should get vaccinated. I encourage everyone to get vaccinated because it gives you that degree of protection. Jeff, look at just look at how Barrett runs Milwaukee in every other way. It's a constant circus. Do you really think he was going to make any kind of good decision on this matter? Um, I think that this is about maintaining power over the people than about saving businesses that might yet be savable. Jeff, doesn't Milwaukee still have rules that um, are, that you can't stand around a bar or dance? I, I I don't know. I, I just I mean one of the things is I've just 
I, I've stopped going to bars in Milwaukee as a practical matter because uh, of these restrictive rules. And when other places were opening up, well, I, I ended up going to a lot of the other places. Jeff, I said on Friday that if the CDC is giving a press conference on mask mandates, then Mayor Barrett should hold off whatever he has to say until after listening to the CDC, just to have the appearance of them being on the same page when it comes to following the, the science. Well, th- this isn't now about following the science. And, and the, I guess one of the things that I find to be frustrating is the fact that we're, all these other communities are, are pivoting on a dime recognizing that, okay, we, we, we've put on all these rules in place because of follow the science. And Milwaukee is saying, well, we'll, we'll take a look at this in a week. We'll take a look at this in two weeks. What, what's that all about? I mean, Shorewood and Whitefish Bay, they get together, they, they, they lift this. Wauwatosa, I mean, I don't know what Wauwatosa is going to do, but I assume they're going to lift their mask mandate. Racine, there, there's no reason for this to wait a week or two to figure out what the health department thinks about this. The health department says we follow the science. The Science has been dictated for the last year plus by the CDC, including a CDC that, in my opinion, has been slow to update its positions based on what the science is. But now we're in the situation where they're saying no need. I mean, it's the city of Milwaukee, and as near as I can tell, it's the state of California, which says that they're going to keep their mask mandates in place for at least another month. But it's Milwaukee and it's California. Okay, you know, really? 855-616-1620. Do you still need masks at Brewer Games? Yeah, I, I think the way it stands now, yes, you you still need to wear masks at Brewer Games. At least that's my understanding. Jeff, my son goes to you and it's driving him crazy regarding the mask mandates. Personally, I believe it's all politically driven uh, by those who want to prove some ridiculous point um, um, that it will be over when the city says it's over. They say follow the science, but they only say follow the science when it fits their agenda. Um, let's see, Mark and River West says, I guess Milwaukee is different. Um, you know, Barrett, different between Barrett and the CDC. Um, exactly. So I guess that the bottom line here is, where, where do you go? And if the justification we've had for the last year is, we're going to do what the CDC says, whether it makes sense or, or not whether it needed to be updated or not. But now that the CDC has done something that at least some of the local public health officials don't necessarily agree with, well, now now the science is no good. You can't have it both ways. If the CDC has been the North Star during this entire thing, we're following what they say, well, there's no justification at all for not allowing the city of Milwaukee to become like the rest of the surrounding area. And if, if they don't think it's hurting, the city of Milwaukee and businesses, I'm here to tell you you're exactly wrong. I can't tell you, at least anecdotally, how many people I talk to who say, look, we're, 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 we're not going into the city of Milwaukee where we have these rules that are in place that are no longer in place anywhere else. And the longer that happens, the more damage there is to business. And by the way, I fully acknowledge that, that maybe, 
maybe that the, the science is going to turn out to be wrong. It's been wrong before. And, and maybe it is possible that once people start taking off their masks, maybe even with the folks who are vaccinated, you, you see a huge spike in, in COVID. I don't think that's going to be the case. But maybe if that is the case, you have to start moving to, you know, whatever the next plan is going to be. Maybe that's requiring proof of vaccinations. Maybe it's going to be going back to masks. I don't know what it's going to be. But at this point in time, there's no reason not to take off the shackles. Wake up, city of Milwaukee. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. It is my great pleasure to be joined by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. Senator Johnson, good afternoon. Well, Jeff, hope you're well. I am well as I am well, sir. Let's let's start off. Um, I, I know you you were involved in a letter either yesterday or two days ago, and you were joined by the various Republican congressmen from the state of Wisconsin calling on Governor Tony Evers to forego the extra 300 bucks in federal retirement benefits. A number of states have already done that. What, what was your thinking and, and why? Well, first, you have to recognize uh, Wisconsin's unemployment rate is 3.8 percent. You know, when I went through uh, Econ 101, uh, my economic professors were telling us that uh, full employment was 5%. So we're, we're under what his, is historically considered full employment. And literally for months, you know, as I've traveled around the state, and I'm sure as the uh, other Republican congressmen have traveled around their districts, the number one complaint by far uh, that business owners have, and the thing that's holding them back from uh, getting you know, fully back into business is they can't hire people. And they blame what should be blamed is the fact that the federal government has continued to plus up state unemployment benefits and literally incentivizing people to stay on the couch, not, not to re-engage in the, in the uh, labor market. It's, it was actually Lawrence Lindsay, who was an economic advisor to both uh, Clinton as, as well as uh, to President Obama, you know, wrote a piece that, uh, in effect, this is paraphrasing, said, if you, when you extend unemployment benefits, you extend unemployment and that's what's happening. I think it's incredibly damaging to our economy. It's really not good for people either. Well, you know, Senator, the, the justification for the the original federal unemployment subsidy, which was six hundred bucks, now three hundred, is that hey, we're we're in the, there's a pandemic. Employers aren't hiring. People can't go out and look for jobs. It, has that changed in your mind? A- absolutely. You know, at, at the depth of the COVID recession, we were down about twenty five million jobs from the record high. Prior to that, again, people were put out of work for, through no fault of their own. We actually were encouraging people if they got sick not to go back in the workforce. So, again, there, there was a lot of things that we were dealing with initially with COVID, but that, that's pretty well all passed. Our economy is pretty much back to normal. There's still some venues that uh, you know, people are concerned about. But in general, the American economy is roaring back. And the, the thing right now that's holding it back is, from my standpoint, the fact that we are extending unemployment benefits to people that, that can get jobs, and they can get jobs easily. Now, Senator, when, when I talk about this just here on the radio, I always get some people who call up and say, no, Jeff, you don't understand that this, this is, that the real solution to this isn't eliminating the, the federal, you know, bonus. It, it's, it's requiring employers to pay more. If employers had to pay $22 an hour, well, then people might be willing to go back to work. Well, certainly part of that's already happening, and what we're going to see as a result of the, the wage inflation is we'll have uh, locked-in general inflation as well. Now, I, I'm already concerned, Jeff, that we, we really have a witch's brew 
of ingredients being concocted for a return to stagflation. Uh, we have rising commodity prices. We potentially could have a stalling economy if businesses can't employ people. We have supply chain dislocations. Uh, right now, there's so many businesses on allocation, whether it's um, the lumber they're trying to, to purchase to, uh, to, to build homes. Just now with the home builders, the average cost of building a house in Wisconsin is up $36,000 just because of the increase in lumber prices. So, so we have all the ingredients here for an a, a economy that just wants to boom, to stagnate, to stagnate. And then on top of that, when you take a look at what happened with the consumer price index, index and the producer price index, uh, we, we're looking at inflation uh, well above 2, 3, 4, 5, potentially 6% or higher. Now, now, Senator, I think people in the Biden administration look at this and say that this is just a blip. This isn't going to happen long term. You're just looking at a very, very temporary thing. We don't need to worry about that. This is just something that's going on for a couple months. Is that what you see? No, the concern is that this isn't a blip. Listen, if you're just looking at commodity prices, you know, lumber prices go up and down. Oil prices go up and down. But when it gets to the point of dramatically increasing wages and everybody thinks, hey, that's a great thing. Well, it's not very good if you get a 5% pricing uh, wage increase, but prices go up 6%. It's the wage increases that are locked in. I mean, once you raise somebody's wages, that's not like the commodity price. It doesn't come down. That locks in inflation. And so, no, this is something we ought to be incredibly concerned about because stagflation is a nasty economic reality that is very difficult to get get out of. Senator, can we switch gears for a minute? The um the, the, the Middle East ha- has exploded over the course of the last couple of weeks. You had, you know, Hamas, which is the, the terrorist organization in Gaza, started indiscriminately sending rockets into Israel. Rock, uh, Israel has now, you know, retaliated with the goal of trying to uh, eliminate Hamas's capacity to do that. You've got uh, some of your colleagues in the Senate and other people in the House of Representatives calling on the, the government to sort of distance itself from Israel. What, is there an end game here, and, and what should we be doing as a country? Well, first of all, I believe Ronald Reagan, when he said you achieve peace through strength, and that's something I think most Republican administrations recognize. Democrats always seem to forget that. So I don't think it's a coincidence that the, this war is broken out between uh, Hamas and Israel uh, under a new Biden administration that is trying to kowtow to Iran try and re-engage in what I consider was a disastrous Iranian nuclear agreement. Um, so, again, th- this isn't a coincidence. And Israel has every right to defend itself, and people really need to understand who is the aggressor here, who is indiscriminately lob- lobbing, I think it's more than 3,000 missiles at, popula- at civilian population centers in Israel, and you compare that to what Israel's doing in retaliation, where they're, they're calling ahead and saying, hey, we're, we're going to bomb this building. Uh, would you clear out because we just want to take out the, the communications or you know, whatever assets are in that building? Uh, it's completely uh, night and day difference between who the aggressor is, who's trying to defend themselves or people, and, and who, from my standpoint, America ought to be on the side of, and that ought to be Israel, who's a functioning democracy in the Middle East and could provide stability if the Palestinians ever wanted peace. But, but they, they don't want peace. They want to destroy Israel 
Israel has a right to defend itself. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that gets lost a lot of times, in, is Senator, is that Hamas, which controls Gaza, I mean, it's not they're they're not looking for a political alternative. They're they are they're they are sworn to the destruction of Israel as an independent state. And I, I guess part of the problem is how do you how if if that's the goal, how do you ever rein them in? You don't. I mean, you eventually have to defeat them. So there, there was a lot of angst when uh, Israel really declared uh, jurisdiction over the Golan Heights. You know, then the Syrian war really erupted. You know, my comment at the time is, I, I bet you the Syrians that live in the Golan Heights, Heights that are now being administered under, under Israeli law are pretty happy they're being administered under Israeli law. Uh, the Palestinians could have a good life. They could have had a good life decades ago if they would have just come to the terms of the fact that Israel is a state, it's going to be a state. Uh, Israelites have a right to be there and are happy to live in peaceful coexistence with Palestinians. Why don't you take them up on their offer? But it's, it's, it's the Palestinians that are always the aggressor in these, in these wars. And then the last thing I think we should be doing is calling for a ceasefire, because that just gives the, the, the Hamas time to rearm which is what they do time and time and time again. So this has literally been going on for about 100 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Senator, let, let's switch gears again. I, the, um, the, the CDC last week, I think, surprised a number of people by, by changing their guidance and saying for folks who are fully vaccinated, there, there's no reason to wear masks indoors as a, as a general sort of rule. Um, I, I see that President Biden has rolled back some of the rules mm-hmm. with regard to, like, federal employees wearing masks inside, but we still have mask rules for airports, for public transportation, for airplanes. Where do you see this going and what should happen? Well, it was well past time for CDC to just recognize the reality of the situation. I think for months, people have been returning to a level of normalcy. They're, they're getting more comfortable. You know, so many people have been vaccinated or they've already uh, contracted COVID and, and so uh, have the natural immunity as well. So, so people want to get beyond the, the pandemic and you know, they're, they're making their own individual risk assessments. Uh, again, I, I'm, I'm glad that's happening. I, I appreciate the fact that people are getting comfortable and, and returning to life. But at the same time, people are using, uh, I think, in some cases, appropriate caution where you're in venues where you're really packed in tight. I mean, I, I fly in airplanes all the time. Everybody's wearing a mask. I mean, I, I don't have a real problem with that. But it's been ridiculous that they had CDC guidelines were asking people to wear masks outside. It's to- totally contrary to what their own study showed them. They just weren't recognizing it. So, you know, the bottom line, Jeff, I've really tried not to be critical of, of public officials, elected officials that have had to make really tough decisions with imperfect information. Where I start getting critical is where they refuse to change their stance once they get new updated information, where, where science starts leading them in different direction. Uh, we're going to have to continue to adapt, uh, and I'm glad the CDC finally adapted to the reality situation here. Senator, I, I have in my hands, and I, I've been collecting this, th- this large stack of, of newspaper stories talking about all the Democrats who are lining up to, to run against you if you run for re-election uh, next year, and stories in the Washington Post featuring, you know, some of the candidates. And um, I, I, I know whenever we're on, I always ask you this question, but let, so let, me, let me not disappoint. Any, any idea about your future as an elected official, and is there a timeline that you're operating? under to make that decision i still think i've got quite some time to make the decision and i'll just see how things play out here uh you know obviously the democrats believe this is a seat they can pick up i'm going to do everything i can 
up until election day to make sure whether it's I'm the candidate or another Republican candidate that we retain the seat because our, really our, our nation is hanging in the balance here. Uh, you've got the Democrat Party led by people like Obama, like Biden, that uh, proclaim that they want to fundamentally transform America. And I don't think the, the voters really recognize how fundamentally transformative what they're really thinking here. And I, I'm, I'm hoping the American public is, is, is looking in shock and horror at what the Biden administration is doing, the, the radicals that they're in, you know, installing in some of these political positions in these agencies. And I, I'm hoping they'll do a reset in 2022. So, you know, whether I'm the candidate or not, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that the Republican wins this Senate seat so we can take control of the Senate so that we're not hanging by a thread. So no no specific timeline. You don't have a sort of, I'll decide by June or I'll decide by the end of the year. Nothing yet for you as far as timeline. Well, I probably have something kind of a timeline in my head. But again, <laughs> I'm, I've, I've, got, I've got time to make decisions. There's, there's nothing, uh, there's no impending decision over the next few weeks or months. Okay. Um, all right. President Biden's been in office more than 100 days. What letter grade would you give him? F. Okay. <laughs> Okay. No, I mean, yeah, you know, Jeff. He starts out with an, you know, inauguration speech talking about unity and healing. Point to me one thing that President Biden has done that has tried to unify this nation or heal it. You can't. And from my standpoint, it's, it was probably the number one reason people voted for him was to unify and heal this nation. He's done the exact opposite. So no, I think it's a complete failure. And then just say, look, look at the, look at the man-made crises on the border. Uh, again, we've got an economy that's just re- ready to just boom, and it is booming. But he institutes policies that uh, threaten inflation and stagnation. That's, it's been a disaster, and Taylor was in the Middle East. Again, I don't think that's a coincidence that uh, Hamas decided to attack Israel under a President Biden versus a President Trump. Senator Johnson, as always, I appreciate you spending some time with me this afternoon. Hope we can talk again sometime soon. Have a great day. Stay well. Absolutely. You as well. That's uh, that is Senator um, Ron Johnson, uh, the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin. Whenever the senator comes on, I always try to see what the timeline is for whether his his decision is to whether he's going to seek reelection or not. And he has it in his own mind, but he's not sharing it with us, at least right now. We'll find out in good time. All right. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. You know, the thing about Ron Johnson, and I understand he's kind of become a lightning rod, and if you read the national press like I do, he, he, he's got a target on his back because he's um, one of only two or maybe the only Republican senator who's going to be running for re-election next year in a state that, that President Trump lost. And so the, the, the general consensus is that, that he, he's vulnerable, and maybe that's the case. I, I don't know, but people are going after him, and the national media is going after him with one puff piece story after another about his opponents. And focusing on, on some of the collateral stuff. And, and I get all that. I understand why Senator Johnson is controversial in some regards. But, you know, when, when it comes down to the, the, the important stuff, he, he's just right. I mean, he, he's right on, you know, stopping the, these extra federal payments that give people an incentive not to go to work. He's absolutely right when it comes to the Middle East. This, this notion, I mean, Hamas is a terrorist group that 
you can criticize some of the things that Israel has, for example, done in Gaza. That's fair. But Hamas is a terrorist group that is being provided with rockets through Iran, and they're, they're lobbing indiscriminately thousands of missiles in, into Israel. The only reason the human carnage isn't worse is because Israel has a very, very good air defense system, this Iron Dome that takes out a lot of the rockets. But but Hamas presents an, an existential um, threat to Israel. And, you know, the example I gave yesterday, if we had a foreign power that all of a sudden started lobbing rockets into the U.S., well, we would be retaliating, and we would be retaliating with the idea of destroying their capability to continue to shoot rockets at us. I, I guess that's kind of the bottom line. Ron Johnson is right on the CDC stuff. One of the areas where we do disagree is I think the sooner he articulates his decision as to whether he is going to run again, the better that is, is going to be. For example, if Senator Johnson were to decide that he's not going to run again, well, okay, that's then going to open the field for a number of other Republican candidates to come forward. I'm sure there's going to be a contested primary, but it takes a little while to build an organization. It takes a little while to raise money. And right now, everybody is hanging fire, waiting for Senator Johnson to decide. If Senator Johnson decides to run again, yeah, he, he's got his organization. He's not going to have any problem raising as much money as, as he needs to run a competitive campaign. If, however, he decides he's not going to run, well, you don't want to be in a position where you wait so long that that has a number of other candidates that are kind of scrambling to get up to speed, especially what's going with, with what is going on on the side of the Democrats. That's why I think the sooner he articulates a decision, particularly if that decision is not to run, the better it's going to be for other Republicans. All right, a lot of stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. Don't go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right, this is the kind of stuff that, again, makes my head want to explode. Madison, the People's Republic of Madison, has just announced that they will be lifting mask mandates. This uh, announcement came out within the last hour and a half. They're going to be lifting the mask mandates, but they're not going to do it until June 2nd. Now, now, okay, the, the CDC says you don't need them anymore, and, and we've always been told follow the science. Right now, it, it's May 18th. What What is going to be different in Madison between May 18th and, and June 2nd? And the answer is, is nothing. It's either you follow the CDC rules or you don't follow the CDC rules. And in Madison, apparently, they're not inclined to follow the the, the science in this. And again, it's they've already said we're going to drop them, but we're we're not going to drop them until another two and a half weeks without articulating any sort of reason why that would be. You know, let's keep them in place over the Memorial Day weekend. Now, I, I can't imagine that they're going to be vigorously enforcing these things when they've already announced that they're going to drop them. But again, it makes it just makes absolutely no sense. If the science says you don't need to do this anymore, why don't you do what Shorewood and Whitefish Bay and so many other communities are saying, okay, well, there, there's no longer a justification to have this sort of control in place. We're going to drop it. Madison says, well, we'll drop it, but we're not going to drop it for another couple weeks. It's just, it's kind of infuriating, but 
it's people put up with this and nobody asks the question about, well, why? I mean, it's is there going to be anything different in two weeks? Is there something going on unique in Madison that's not going on in other places? Is the virus? I don't know if you know, is, is there something different about Madison? And the answer is no, but it's just all about uh, control. But in any event, uh, June 2nd, the mask mandate will go away. Not not today, not tomorrow. Just, again, one of these sort of eye-rolling kind of decisions. All right. If you want to see an example of, of what the, the statue we're going to be talking about, I, I've got a link to it. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Let me kind of back into this. A couple of years ago, I was um, in Key West. Key West is my my happy place. And right right by the, the Gulf in Key West, there's something called the Custom House Museum. And in front of the Custom House Museum, there was this 25-foot, 15,000-piece um, statue called Embracing Peace. And what Embracing Peace is, it, it's a lifelike, what's 25 feet tall, it, it's a replica of that, that famous picture from 1945 and in you, you're probably familiar with it. It was it was the day that the United States declared victory over Japan, VJ Day. And there's a, a sailor who's in Times Square, and he he grabs the, this nurse and he and he does this like deep kiss of her. And it was a picture. There was a Life magazine photographer that was around, and they took this picture, and it went you know it, it went viral. This is before stuff went viral, and it became I, I think arguably one of the five or ten most iconic pictures of the 25th century. And they turned it into this, this giant statue, and it they put it, it was it was on display for a year outside the museum in Key West. Subsequently, it's been moved to other places. But it's actually kind of this cool thing. And I can remember, you know, my, my wife and I were kind of like, oh, that, that's kind of this really cool thing that, that that's out there. It gets your attention. It's a piece of art. It's iconic. And, you know, you end up, um, again, it's something that you, you talk about. All right, when we speak about iconic images, there's a movie called The Seven-Year Itch. And, and maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. It's a movie by Billy Wilder, and it's it stars Marilyn Monroe, among others. And one of the... the one of the scenes, and the whole plot is you have uh, you, you have this guy who's um, he lives in an apartment building, and his his wife goes away goes goes out of town for for the summer, and, and he's there by himself, and he's kind of fixating on Marilyn Monroe, who plays she, she's one of the people that that live in the building. But there is a famous scene in this movie. And the movie, the scene is where Marilyn Monroe is walking down a New York street, and she gets over this this street grate, this subway grate, and all of a sudden the subway goes by underneath, and there's a whoosh of air, and her skirt blows up. You know, just this kind of blows up around her her waist, and you know she's like kind of trying to hold it down. If you've seen the movie, you've undoubtedly seen this likeness before. It's kind of it's an iconic thing. It's an iconic scene in the movie, and it's been well an iconic image for the latter part of the the twentieth century. Well, well, here's the story. There has been, for a number of years, this giant Marilyn Monroe statue, not unlike the, the giant statue of the sailor kissing the nurse in Times Square. Uh, it's, it's a 27-foot-high statue. 
and it's been it was originally displayed in Palm Springs. Um, and then it started moving around the country to various locations. And it's been billed as this tourist attraction, people coming to, to see the giant statue. So it was first displayed in downtown Palm Springs between 2012 and 2014. Then it, it, it circulated. Now it's back in Palm Springs. And if you want to see the picture, again, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 it, It's 27 feet high, and it's in this, this public space in in palm springs and it's marilyn monroe or at least a replica of her and her skirt is kind of blowing up and she's sort of holding it down it's it's the image from this movie well it is creating a controversy in palm springs where it is being displayed it's called forever maryland that that's what it is and again it's been on the road now it's back in palm springs and people in palm springs are complaining about this saying that they find the statue to be demeaning they find it to be misogynistic it's blatantly sexist adding here's somebody i'm looking for the story the statue objectifies Marilyn Monroe by promoting upskirting, which is defined as taking a photo of a person's genital area without their knowledge. It's considered a criminal misdemeanor offense in the state of California. O- okay, well, of course, th- this this wasn't taken. This was a scene from a movie. It wasn't taken without Marilyn Monroe's, Monroe's permission. Here's what somebody says. She wanted to be taken seriously as an artist, not just a sexual icon. We join others in demanding the city of Palm Springs venerate, not defile her memory. Um, that's what the petition says. And about 40,000 people have signed this this petition demanding that, okay, this this statue go away. Our number 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this an example, again, of the, the cancel culture taking things that are iconic and finding reasons to try to, to cancel them? The idea is that, oh, this promotes an unhealthy image of women. Well, okay, this is a scene from a movie that Marilyn Monroe appeared in. All right, should this statue be taken down? Or rather, does this celebrate that th- this icon and a representation that this is an iconic picture? And I guess if we've got a problem with the Marilyn Monroe representation, do we have a problem with the statue of, again, the sailor kissing the nurse in Times Square? Because who knows? Maybe that was unwanted touching or whatever. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess my answer is find real problems. I mean, for goodness sakes, we've had that ugly orange sunburst at the end of Wisconsin Avenue for decades, and everybody gets upset when we say, oh, you can't get rid of the ugly orange sunburst because that, that that's art. Well, okay, this is an iconic image from a movie. All right, I think people just desperately need to get a life. 855-616-1620, we discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, I've seen statues of Superman with his cape blowing. Hope he isn't outraged if someone takes an up caping photo. 
What's next? The Statue of Liberty? That's what Bob and Sheboygan asks. Jeff, she posed for nude photos that Hugh Hefner put in Playboy. I'm sure Marilyn Monroe would be okay with the statue in the photo that it was based on. Well, yes, exactly. That's kind of the thing. Jeff, people need to worry about more important things. It was a movie. She loved the publicity. It's history. We don't need to change history, um, needless to say. And I think there's an element of that. Um, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Jeff, um, I, I missed it. When did the left become the Puritans? What am I missing? Well, that, that's a very interesting. I don't know if it's Puritans, but it's like, okay, this is, this is sexist and demeaning to women. Well, okay, Marilyn Monroe em- embraced that. It, it really is. This is one of the things going on in this country now because there's this huge schism in, in, um, New York City. They've now announced that they're they're not going to prostitute people for being involved in prostitution, or at least they're they're not going to prosecute the the sex workers, the prostitutes, the people working in the massage parlors. Now I think this is insane, but if the idea is going to be okay, here that that that's okay, we're going to allow people to do this sort of stuff because we're not going to be judgmental and we don't want to single them out and stigmatize this. All right, but but now you're going to get upset about a statue of Marilyn Monroe, you know, posing from a movie that was in. 1955. Um, Jeff, honestly, people need to get a life. Maybe we should take down all statues. Start with the Statue of Liberty. I mean, really, don't people need to work on their own life and not worry about what other people should do? Right. And look, and I, I appreciate that, you know, People can can look at these statues and look at artwork and have a discussion about, you know, it, it, do we like it or, or not? As I said, I, I've been one just looking at that ugly orange sunburst at the end of Wisconsin Avenue for years and years and years, thinking that we'd be better off if we, you know, put it out in Lake Michigan for, you know, the boats to enjoy. But but whenever I do that, people, oh, Jeff, you just don't appreciate this is, is art. Jeff, some people apparently have no real problems. Think of what could be accomplished if these efforts were applied to something meaningful. Yes. Jeff, please remind folks that... Um, it's art is supposed to offend people and make them think. Well, right. Jeff, there's also one, um, like, there's also one in the Keys. No problems with it. It is the time. Jeff, the giant statue of the sailor bending back the woman is in downtown Sarasota, right by the bay. This one's been there forever, and now is the movement, there is a movement to get rid of it. The thing is iconic, and it's beautiful to look at. The smarter people have prevailed, and the statue will remain, thanks goodness. That's Kyle from Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, it's... Again, these are they're, they're intended as tourist attractions. And I admit, the first time I saw that that twenty foot high statue of the the replica of the image from um, the the photograph in Times Square, I remember I walked over to it, and it it, it was. It, I was kind of looking at, it and I was I knew what it was right away, and I was trying to decide if I liked it or not. And I, I'm, again, I'm I'm not. I'm not sure how I would answer that, but it, but it's art. I knew what it was, and I thought it was a particularly interesting thing to to have, especially given Key West and the the ties to the Navy and things like that. Um, yeah, so you got that there, um, Jeff. All Hollywood wears dresses with stuff hanging out. <laughs> I don't know what this is kind of all about. Uh, Jeff, I've noticed statues around of Elvis Presley where he's gyrating his hips. Should we take those down because it's promoting some form of dirty dancing? Well, maybe. Jeff, have we lost our minds? Um, you know, she wanted to ta- be taken seriously and not um, objectified. Um, well, and then it goes on. I mean, she... 
Marilyn Monroe, I mean, understood what her talents were. She understood what her strengths were. And again, this isn't a situation of upskirting. That's what drives me crazy. Oh, this is all upskirting. You know, th- this is endorsing people to, you know, go and, and take pictures, you know, of, of, of people against their will. This was a movie statue, and it was something that Marilyn Monroe posed for, period. When we come back, let's find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. This is Jeff Wagner.